folks have been so kind to me. My wife will be so happy that I come home happy and uh, well fed and well taken care of. And uh, it's been great to be here and give honor tonight to Bishop Heyman and to Pastor Heyman, to all these ministers that are here. I hope I get to meet you tonight. If I haven't met you, how good it is to be in the house of God and all the great food we've had. This choir's just been unbelievable. I was trying to video it, you know, but it's just kind of like you have to be there. You just have to be there. It's like going down the ocean, a little bottle of water, and take it home and say, you want to see the Atlantic Ocean? Let me show it to you here. You know? But you got to taste the salt. you got to feel the breeze. you got to listen to the waves slap up against the shore. you got you got to, you know, just the bottle. That's, it really is the ocean, but it's so minuscule that it doesn't even amount to anything, you know. And so just having to be here, and I'm, I'm glad that you invited me. I, this has been so good. I've been here for the first drumbeat and uh, all the good preaching that I've enjoyed. This ministered to me. I, I think I was. I think you invited me just to hear all this great preaching and ministering to my heart and my life. And uh, Brother Ballesteros, of course, he had to leave, and he did our Three Little Pigs deal yesterday. And uh, Brother Libby's just been outstanding, and, and, and Brother Spell and Brother Turpin. These men have just, Brother Mark, you've just wore me out. I know when you're get done leading the choir, I'm wore out. Just watching you wears me out, you know. Just wears me out. I'm glad I'm among some worshipers tonight, you know. It's uh, good to be among folks that will worship a little bit. It's a fact, if you read your Bible a little, the disciples did a lot of stuff, but they never worshipped. Hmm. That's what I think. Hmm. They were amazed, and they marveled, but they never worshipped. I mean, Seraphonesians worshipped, and uh, insane legions worshipped, and lepers worshipped, but disciples just stood back amazed. I would think if a leper could worship, about anybody could worship. You know? I mean, what's a leper got to worship for? Thank you for drying my eyes up in their sockets. Thank you for letting my fingers fall off. Thank you for letting my toes fall off. Thank you for me having to live in a leper colony. Thank you for never letting me invited to a party. Thank you for never giving me a wife. I'll never have children. How does he worship? What does he say? You know, Bible said the leper, he came down the mountain. A leper came worshiping him, praising him. And the disciples were amazed. They were amazed, but it didn't have any effect on them because they've never been a leper. They've never been a maniac. They've never cried and cut themselves and lived among tombs. They've never been a seraphonesian. Miracles were their daily bread while they had to worship God. But the lepers were not worshiping because of what God had done to them or for them. They were worshiping because of who he was. And now and then you've got to give him leper worship. Now and then it takes leper worship. It is, it's not because I feel like this, because I see who he is, and therefore I will lift my stubs, I will beat my hands together, and I will give him some leper worship. Just give him a little leper worship tonight, would you? Just give him a little leper worship. Thank you, Jesus. 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 I recognize who you are, Lord, therefore I will bow my knee and praise you. I will bow my knee and praise you and glorify your wonderful name. We have had such great food and fellowship. How could I not worship God and praise him for 
all of his goodness and mercy that is shown to me. Thank you for Calvary Apostolic Church for all your contribution, for all you've done, the work and the labor, and that great salad bar we had last night was just phenomenal, and all the good eats, and, and just, you know, it's just been a perfect, you do things with excellence, and I like that, I like people that do, if you're going to do it, do it with excellence, and uh, you have just outdone yourself in my estimation, thank you for all of the smell, it has just been a real friend to me, down through the years, we've enjoyed working together, we call it working together, but being together, and fellowshipping together, and uh, he preached my 40th anniversary. My, my folks, my church, people in my church, they gave me these cufflinks for my, uh, for my 40th anniversary. And on my cufflinks, they have the uh, longitude, they have longitude and latitude numbers on my, on my cufflinks. Let me show you here. It's right there. My goodness. Yeah. So if you put that longitude and latitude numbers in your GPS, and if you're in and you follow them, it brings you to Indianapolis, down to 234 North River, right up, and the, that longitude and latitude is the pulpit where I stood for 40 years. So if I ever get lost, or you ever find me hitchhiking along the road and say, I've lost my mind, if I've got my cufflinks on, just put them in your GPS and it'll take me home. It'll take me home, bring me back home. That's why I wore them tonight just in case, being in Denver, you know, I might get, we've done pretty good though, but Olivia's done good getting me here and getting me home, you know. We had a couple little iffy times, but he did good getting me home, getting me here, you know. Yeah, won't you stand with me one more time, I think I hope I've uh, said all I need to say. In the book of Matthew, the uh, 10th chapter, verses 5 through 8, <clears throat> Matthew 10, verses 5 through 8. These twelve Jesus sent forth, commanded them, saying, Go not unto the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, Freely you have received, freely give. I want to uh, make an attempt tonight to preach to you on the subject of the power of a bloodline. And uh, you just lift your hands with me one more time and let's just entertain the Holy Ghost just a moment if we could. Thank you, Lord, for your gracious kindness and long-suffering to us, dear God. I thank you for your way and your will tonight, God. If you will share that with me, I'll be happy to cooperate, Lord. Touch our minds and our hearts. Take away from my mind any error, dear God, or any misconception that I have tonight, God. Remove it from my thought patterns, oh God. Give me nothing but the pure, sincere word of God. I love you tonight. I thank you, dear God, for what you will do in my heart and my life today by being me a recipient of the great word of God. Now give us an ear to hear what thus saith the word of God. I will praise you continually forever and ever for your goodness and mercy tonight, God. Thank you, Lord, and I claim it and embrace it and receive it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It would seem to me that the church in general, and perhaps saints in particular, have never had a very good sense of who they were and uh, 
consequently never gained a lot of self-worth out of their life. Mine is a reason for that, I think, is as Gentiles, much of the Bible does nothing to enhance our self-esteem, but rather paints a rather, rather sordid picture of all those who lack a proper line of descent. When Jesus sent out his uh, 12, he, he wanted them to profile, and we're not really interested in profiling today, but Jesus it would appear to be a little prejudiced, and um, he wanted his 12 disciples to be sure and profile all those that came to him because there were some that were not going to be received. They needed to qualify all of the applicants for healing. If you came for cleansing or you came for uh, delivering of some kind, he first had some questions had to be asked. You had to be inquired of about uh, were you a Gentile or were you a Samaritan? And Jesus said, you can't do anything for them. I don't want you going to a Samaritan city. I don't want you dealing with any Gentiles. So you'll have to ask. You'll have to inquire. You'll have to profile their lives because uh, I don't want you doing any business with them. And uh, these, these applicants that would come to him, the sole criteria of the miracle lay in the power of their bloodline. He would say to someone who came to them and perhaps were sick to one of these 12, he would ask them, you know, uh, who is your father? And they would have to explain who their father was. And if they had the right father, then he would say, all right, we will hands on you and uh, pray for your healing. But if they did not have the right father, then he would say, I'm sorry, we have nothing for you. You have to go home and, and just stay sick. I would like to heal your child. Uh, I see that he's very, very sick. I just, I just have to know, uh, does he have the right father? I'm, can you tell me who his father is? And if he had the right father, then they would heal the sick. And uh, if he didn't have the right father, they would say, I'm sorry. You take your child home. There's nothing we can do for him. I would like to cleanse you, sir, of your leprosy. But before I cleanse you of your leprosy, I would like to know your genealogy and tell me something about your stock. Tell me something about where you came from. And if the leper had a right genealogy, they could cleanse him of his leprosy. But if he did not, he walked away a leper and would die a leper. I deeply regret your sorrow of your widowhood. And I see you're on your way to bury your son. And I have the power to raise him from the dead. But before I do that, I have to ask you some questions. I would like to know what is your history. I'd like to know what is your genealogy. Tell me who, you, who your father is. Where did your husband come from? And, and, and I just need to know something about your history. And if she gave him the right answers, then they would raise the dead son. But if not, she could go on to the cemetery and bear her baby. It was kind of an odd situation for Jesus to actually make that kind of profiling and that kind of prejudice against the Samaritans and against the Gentiles. Sir, before I can cast your devils out of your tormented son, could I see your family register? Could you show me some kind, of, uh, some kind of paperwork or something that would prove to me where you came from or your genealogy? And if they could show the right paperwork, then uh, he would inform them that I can deliver your son. But if not, you take your demonic son back home with you, and he will continue jumping in the fire and the water. There's nothing I can do for you because he's not of the house of Israel. To a Gentile woman, I know you know that he classified or characterized her as a dog. You know, uh, she lacked the power of a righteous descent 
And so uh, the disciples said, we have nothing for you, you know. She's bothering us. She's hounding us, but we have nothing for her because she is a Gentile. And, of course, Jesus characterized her then saying, you know, it's not meat to give the children's meat to dogs. And, uh, of course, she replied with that, yep, but the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. She created a dispensation for herself right there, and God delivered her. And so... Many times to our own generation, I find this so much in pastoring a church, we have to tell them you've got to get over where you came from. You, 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 can't, you can't hang on to your history, you know. Forget who your dad was. I know he was no good. Get over who your mother was. She was a drug addict. And, and so many times what should be an asset to you is a liability to you. And uh, your family, your history, children have been abused. They were throwaways. They've been kicked out, put out, all things done for them. And the first thing you have to do is say, you're going to have to get beyond your father and get beyond your mother. And I understand your grandfather molested you. And I understand you had all these issues and problems. But you just got to get beyond your history, get beyond where you came from. And it's a tragedy that your history would not be an asset to you. Who your daddy was, who your mama was, who your brothers and sisters were, who your grandparents were, should be a great asset to your life and not something you've got to get over. You've got to get beyond those things. Forget who your parents were. Forget who you, where you came from. But as a Jew, any casual student would know that they were very scrupulous in recording and keeping their bloodline. It's the book of the generations of, which for my part they could have just left out because I wish you just told me who the Antichrist is instead of putting all the genealogies in there, you know? Make everything else, you know, it's like you've got to figure it all out. Why don't you have to figure out genealogies? You wrote all of those, you know. But the genealogy was the Jews' life source. You know, they, they, they brought a picture of my aunts. So, you know, I didn't care about where I came from when I was young so much. But as you get a little older, you start thinking about, I wonder what my, where I came from, what my, what my family was like, my history family. So they started digging into it, and sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing, you know. When you start looking where you came from, it could be good, it could not be so good, you know. So she started sending me pictures. I'm telling you, when I think about what I was locked up in, it, 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 it is a miracle, you know, that they all look like horse thieves and um, uh, look like wanted posters, you know. And, and they got a picture of my great-grandfather. My wife says, you want to hang that on, on the wall? It come from I said, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to hang it on my wall. I have a look at it. I was locked up in that guy there. He looks like I owed him money right now just looking at me, you know. He, you know nobody smile in the pictures. Nobody's got a pleasant look on their face. They go to the worst background they could find. They went back by an old, uh, an old uh, split rail fence with a bunch of briars and weeds all behind it, you know. And all them kids are sitting there having no shoes on, you know, and, and, and all grubbing hair, look like they combed it with an egg beater, you know. They're just you know, all woolly looking, you know, and, and looking back at you all wild-eyed, you know, and I'm thinking, I was locked up in some of those folks right there. That's scary to think of that, you know, and I'm trying to get over that. I don't want to remember those people. I'm sure they were good. Well, I'm not sure they were good people, but I thought they hung most of them, but they, they, some of them got out evidently and escaped, and, uh, and that's where I came from. You know, that's my great, great, great grandfather or somebody, great grandmother. Those are all of his kids down there, you know, and they're all well, they're just, they're scary looking is what they are. They're scary looking, you know. And, 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 but you read in the Bible, the, the, the Jew was not like that. He, the sum total, the pride of a Jew was his blood connection to Abraham. And he was well aware of the glory and power that flowed in his bloodline. 
this was his heritage and, and that of his children and his children's children. And, and, and no treasure was so coveted as their ancestry and their genealogy and their pedigree and their line of descent, their lineage and their family parentage. The Hebrew knew full well that their influence with God resided in the power of their bloodline. To be the seed of Abraham was to be the benefactor of Abraham's life, his righteousness, his faith, his obedience and accomplishments, his covenant with God. So the Jew understood his security and his stability and identity and credibility were all wrapped up in the power of his bloodline. He had that covenant. He had that inheritance. And that was part and parcel of what made him. But the Gentile had no profound heritage. Therefore, the Gentile had little appreciation for his line of descent because there was no virtue, there was no value, there was no power, there was no pride in being a Gentile. There's no genealogy of the Gentiles in the Bible, you know, because the Gentile took no pride in it. They were like me. They're trying to get over it. You know, Ruth was not so much impressed with her genealogy because she came from, you know, she came from a, 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 an incestuous relationship with Lot had with his daughter. So it wasn't something she wanted to put in a book or keep track of it, you know. She's like, I'm just trying to outrun it. I hope it don't ever catch me, you know. And uh, so in the Gentiles, uh, that you, by the way, that's what you are unless you're a Jew. Anybody other than a Jew was a Gentile. And so these Gentiles had no genealogy they were proud of. Most of them just trying to forget about it and get over it and, and get it away. They certainly didn't want it recorded anywhere because the Gentile lived disconnected and disenfranchised from the Abrahamic line. The great apostle Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, summed it up like this. He said, wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by them which are called circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope within, without God in the world. So there was nothing to be proud of. There was nothing to pop your buttons about or go around and tell everybody who your daddy was, you know, because you were in a world made by God, but you were without God in his world. You're living in a world without the God that made the world, and so you had no, you had no pedigree. You had nothing in your history that you wanted to connect to. You lived disenfranchised from the world around you because there was no path, path, path worth remembering or holding on to. The power of a bloodline that... That, that was that whenever and wherever you were born into it, you became a benefactor of everyone that came before you. Let me just have my, 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 my uh, bloodline come up here. You wait, man. You have to come up here and stand if you would, please. Come up here and stand if you would, please. Come here. Yeah, yeah. Come and get in a little semicircle right here with me. Yeah, I need you to come on down here on the end down here. I got to part you here. Parts you a little better here. He said, come right in the middle, anywhere there, anywhere there, anywhere there. So if you have the descendants all the way from Abe, Abraham, all the way down through the genealogy, all the way down, all the way down here to Jesus, are 42 generations. 42, I don't have enough to have 42 people up here, but I got 40, I got, I got these folks up here are representative of the generations from Abraham all the way to Christ. Now, the benefactor of this is the blood flowed this way. I want you to take your little Baptist nod every now and just let you know you're with me here. You know, the, the blood flowed this away. This away. It was on a descent. It, didn't ever, it never flowed this away. It always flowed from Abraham down all the way this away. 
And wherever you were born into the bloodline, you were a benefactor of all those who were born before you. Because it flowed from him, down to him, down to him. Then you were the benefactor of him, him, him. And now it come to you. So the further down the bloodline you were born, the greater the benefit. Because it was accumulative. It would accumulate as it came from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and down through every man born after that got a little more because it built up as it came down through the, through the, through the, through the genealogy, down through the bloodline. It was the power of a bloodline that where you were born in it at, you, you received the benefits of all that was done before you because it flowed this away down to you. So it's better to be born down here than it was to be born up here because he only got the benefit of one before him. So as it went down the bloodline, because it accumulated as it went down the bloodline, you were the benefactor of all those who came before you. See, the Gentiles didn't have that. They didn't have any bloodline. They didn't have anything that was bringing anything to them. They were disconnected and disenfranchised from anything that would give them anything from their past. Because the power of the bloodline was that wherever or whenever you were born into it, you became the beneficiary of everyone that came before you, and your bloodline was on a descent and flowed from an origin downward. The Jew knew this and counted this awesome truth as the power of a bloodline. There was the accumulative effect in the descent of the bloodline. Let me give you an example of this. The law commanded that men pay tithes. And there was some conflict as to how uh, uh, Levi of the priesthood was going to receive tithes when he had never paid any tithes. And so they were questioning that back and forth. And Paul said, I'll take care of that for you, the book of Hebrews. And as I may say, Levi also, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek paid him. So when Abraham met Melchizedek, he paid his tithes to Melchizedek. Little nod be good right here if you with me. He paid his tithes and Mel pays them to Melchizedek. Well, they were asking why 200 years later that Levi would be receiving tithes. He said, well, you understand what Abraham did flowed right down through the bloodline and it was though Levi paid his tithes because he paid them in Abraham. He paid him in Abraham. He was just a chromosome inside of him. He was, just, he, was just, he was just potential inside of Abraham. But because of the power of a bloodline, that potential flowed down through 200 years of time. And when he received tithes, it was though he had paid tithes back in Abraham. That's the power of a bloodline. You don't have to do it. Somebody else may have done it. And it's passed down through to you, down through the power of a bloodline. Hallelujah. The lifeblood of the Jew, just stand there with me. The lifeblood of the Jew was the fact that he was chosen in Abraham back there in the 12th chapter of the book of Beginnings. And the bloodline was preserved at all costs. Lose your land, lose your wealth, lose your war. Take captive, carry it away into captivity, lose the temple. But keep the record of the line of descent. Hold on to the pedigree. Don't forget who you are. Because your influence with God is based on who you are. That's all well and good for the Jew. You might say, but where am I come in? Where do I, as a member of the Gentile bride, a part of the church of the living God, how do I come into the plan of God? Well, I'm glad you asked tonight. Paul wrote in the, in the book of Ephesians, he said in the second chapter, you were Gentiles, to the church at Ephesus, you were Gentiles in the flesh. 
But then in the first verse, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. He's talking about Gentiles now. Has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, but he did it in heavenly places in Christ. He did something of in heaven in Christ. Hallelujah. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Let me speak to you tonight and say that before the generations of Abraham, before the generations of Adam, before the generations of the heaven and the earth, before the generations of angels and seraphims, before a single tick was ever off of the clock of time, when there was nothing but God who filled eternity, he chose me according to the bloodline of a blood man, Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father. So I say let the Jew have Abraham. God chose me in Christ before the foundations of the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Jews said, we got Abraham for our father. All the Jews looked back and said, we got Abraham to our father. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. He said, hey, you ain't 50 years old. How can Abraham see you? He said, before Abraham was, I am. He put Jesus right down here, and he said, before Abraham was, and there's something flowing down through the bloodline. Before Abraham was, I am. They wanted to go out and stone him. Come on, back, Jesus. Back up where you belong. Go back, Jesus. They want to take him out and stone him because he's messing with their bloodline now. They wanted Abraham for their father. <laughs> you may can sit down just a moment. I see you're getting weary with your journey. John, David tried to explain it, and, and he, he said it's too wonderful. When you start thinking about it, it's just too wonderful. He says it's just too wonderful. You know, some things about God are just too wonderful. They're just... He's, just be, he's full of wonder to begin with. He's a God of wonder. He said it's just too wonderful. It's too extraordinary. It's too remarkable. It's too difficult. It's too high, he said. I cannot access it. It's out of reach. Lord, I could never appreciate the scope of what has been put into my choosing. David will confess, I'm going to write it down, but I really don't understand it. I'm going to try to explain this to you. And I'm sorry if I bore you to tears, but I'm going to try to make it a little better as we go along here at least. I had the privilege of doing a little work at the horse farms in Lexington, Kentucky concerning the thoroughbred horse. With the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to try to enlighten and unravel the complexity that baffled David by the laying down of a natural thing over against a spiritual thing. Because it's, it's the natural came first and then the spiritual. Some folks are trying to understand the spiritual and you don't even understand the natural yet. See, Nicodemus couldn't understand the wind blowing where it listeth, you know. And he said, if I've told you natural things, you don't understand it. I'm going to explain spiritual things to you because you've got to understand the spiritual things before you understand the natural things. So let me try to tell you a natural thing. Nowhere in the arena of study of the bloodline is it more perfected than that which concerns the thoroughbred racehorse. The thoroughbred is referred to as the blood horse. 
For 300 years, those who have dedicated their lives to the development of the thoroughbred are known as blood stock agents. 300 years, they dedicate their lives to the development of thoroughbreds. The thoroughbred horse rises and falls according to the power of its bloodline. There is no other physical characteristics that outweighs the bloodline. The bloodstock agent is not looking or purchasing pretty. He doesn't care if you're pretty. He's a bloodstock agent. He just deals with blood. Doesn't care if you're cute. Women like cute. That's why they buy cute cars. Is it a four-cylinder or a six-cylinder? I don't know, but isn't it cute? You know? <laughs> they buy those little Coke cans, you know. It's about a half, not even a half a can. You know, they pay twice as much for a half a can because they're cute. So the cans are so cute, you know. But a bloodstock agent doesn't care about cute. They say, oh, that's a cute horse. He's not caring about it being a cute horse or a pretty horse. He's a bloodstock agent. He deals with the stock of blood. He doesn't care what color it is. It could be black. It could be white. It could be chestnut. He doesn't care what color it is. It could be something in between. He's unimpressed with a white blaze or white stockings. That which pleases the eye bears no weight to a bloodstock agent. Because when you buy a thoroughbred, you are purchasing a bloodline. When you look at a newborn fold, there's little interest in the cosmetics of the fold. His spindly legs are wobbly and shaky. His knees buckle, unable to support his own weight. He trembles and twitches in his present weakness. His vision is cloudy and his confidence is unsure. He may fall down disoriented as he tries to move. He is not by anyone's visible estimation worth anything. When you buy a thoroughbred, you're purchasing a bloodline. North Atlantic, the leading sire in 1999, was Stormcat. If you would like him to sire a foal for you, his fee is $400,000. What you're guaranteed is a live standing foal. When that colt, that foal gets up on four feet, your warranty just ran out. And when you look at him, he doesn't look like he's worth $400,000. Trembles and twitches and he may fall down disoriented as he tries to move. He's not by anyone's visible estimation worth $400,000. But a bloodstock agent is not put off by present weakness. He understands what he purchased, is acutely aware of the power of the bloodline that this foal has inherited. At $400,000, he didn't purchase present achievements, but he's purchasing past accomplishments that are round up and blocked up in the bloodline of this foal. Because this foal has never felt the weight of a saddle. This foal has never felt a bit in his mouth. This foal has never been on a track. This foal has never heard the trumpet sound. But there's something that a bloodstock agent knows that's wrapped up in the bloodline of this foal that makes him give $400,000 for him before he can ever stand up on his feet. That's the power of a bloodline. That a man will pay for the blood. He doesn't pay for the fold. He doesn't care about what color he is. He doesn't care about the stockings. He doesn't care about any of the physical features of the, of, of the cold. He's only buying blood. That's why we're saying thank God for the blood. For it reaches to the highest mountain, flows to the lowest valley. It's the blood. It's the blood. Because I'm serving a blood stock agent. 
He doesn't care whether you're red, yellow, black, white. He doesn't care whether you're pretty or ugly. He cares about blood. Blood stock agent. I'm not purchasing what you've done. I'm purchasing your past accomplishments that have been done in your predecessors. Thank you, Jesus. Be seated. Before a cult is ever born, they let me do this. A blood stock agent pours over volumes of statistics, evaluations, pedigrees, genealogies, records that may take years to conclude. It is a very expensive and continued endeavor to produce a winner. They study all the sires. They go to England. They go to all the countries. They study all the sires. They study all the mares. I mean, they study everything. It takes years for this cult. When this cult is dropped from its mare, it hits the ground. They're not put off by its present weakness. They have spent years and years and years calculating the blood that's inside that fold. And they believe they got a winner there. They, he's never won anything, but they believe they got a winner there. We increase the probability of producing quality foals. Physical measurements of thousands of horses are made. There's certain patterns emerge from the process to reveal stakes winners. Colts are measured at 14 months with digital streaming to analyze. They are given a number that expresses their individual part fit together, how they fit together. Their conformation is studied to determine their geometry. They're given a biomechanical analysis of stride and motion. The cardiovascular system is scored. There are 58 different relationships from muscle mass to bone structure used to analyze efficiency. If the back is too long, the energy required to raise the front end off the ground is too great and speed is lost. If the back is too short, it will inhibit the ability to stride out sufficiently at high speeds. If the front leg structure is not absolutely perfect, it causes the horse trajectory to be off and it causes it to climb. If it is too low, then maximum velocity at push-off is not achieved. The hind legs must be in harmony with the front. If the front legs hit the ground too soon, it creates a braking action and shortens the stride. If the front feet hit too late, the power of the hind leg is weakened. There's a complete breakdown on the mare and the stallion concerning stride length, leg angle, foot strike, linear and angular velocity, acceleration of limb motion, size of the heart, size of the lungs, and all the major organs. And after thousands of present mares and stallions are broken down into their individual components, then their bloodline, their descendants are all done the same way. And after months of intensive research and speculation, a sire and a mare is selected. And what the foal will be is calculated on paper and in the minds of men, virtual reality. Nothing exists yet. It's just in the thoughts and the intentions of men. And they depend upon the power of a bloodline to produce a thoroughbred racehorse. And the fold is the benefactor of the descent of his bloodline virtue by the accumulative effect that every sire that has won and every mare that has won is passed down through the bloodline that gives value and worth to a fold that can't even stand up yet. Because in that fold is every race that was won by his predecessors. It's been handed down to him. In them, he was led to the winner's circle. In them, he had the roses put around his neck. He has acquired his worth through the victories of others. There is the power of a bloodline to a thoroughbred, that he has no victories of his own, but he has inherited the victories of all those that proceeded before him. And therefore, he has value, not within himself, 
because of the blood that was given him through the victory of all those that came before him. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. If you can, if you can partially understand this in the natural, then consider it for a moment in the spiritual. This is what David said was too much for him to comprehend. He said, oh, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. He said, you've been examining me intimately. You've explored me and investigated me. You've searched me out. you sought me out. you found me out. He said, you know me. You have discerned me and distinguished me. You've been cunning and skillful toward me. He said, you know my down settings. You know all my failures. You know my faults. You know my weaknesses. And he said, you know my uprisings. You know my strengths, my accomplishments, my successes. He said, you understand me. You're fully informed and are able. He said, you have acquainted with all my ways. You have personal knowledge of everything about me. He said, you possess my reins. You exercise full control in my making. There was a check and guide, stop and govern my life. He said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am not an accident. I am not something that was unintended. I mean, I have been something you've been working on for millennials. You made me with a great deal of care and concern. You gave me emotions. You made precision in your diligence. You have made with respect in order to give me significance. I've been made so as yet to be set apart and marked out. He said, my substance was not hid from thee when I was being made in secret like the thoroughbred race horse computed on a screen. He said, when I was in secret, God, you were looking at all my parts as to how you were going to put me together. I don't want to hear anybody else ever say, I'm not happy who I am. I'm not thankful for what God has made me. I want to be different. I want to be this. I don't want to be that. Listen, there has been millennials that have gone into making you. He said, my, my substance, that is my golem, my embryo, the uniform mass surrounding the fetus. You are watching it. Then I still see my substance, yet being imperfect. And in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuous were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. You put me together when there was no, nothing to put together. You didn't have no parts. I didn't have anything. I was no man. You were just sitting on the circle up there of eternity. And you had me on your mind before the foundations of the world. When as yet there was no member of my body. When as yet there was none of me. You were thinking about me. How I was going to be. What kind of mind you would give me. What kind of voice you would give me. How high, tall I would be. How all my structure. He said you were putting me together when as yet there was none of me. You folded me, molded me, framed me. When as yet, all my members that are written in a book, when as yet there was none of them. He just looking in the book saying, well, I think I'll give him this head right here. I'll give him these shoulders right here. I'm going to give him this over here. I'm going to give him over that. I'm going to make a man out of him. I'm going to make a woman out of him. Yeah. He determined all that, you know, in eternity. Now, you can cut off some parts and bolt some more parts on if you want to. Try to change your sex, you know. You can't change your sex to begin with. It's in your DNA. If you can change your DNA, then you might be able to change it to a male. But since you can't change your DNA, it ain't about parts. It's about what God made you before there's ever a, before, before the world began. 
He said, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, and how great are the sum of them. God, you've been thinking about me. Have you had me on your mind? My God, if a man will take three years to build a racehorse, you think what God has done in order to build you and make you who you are tonight. That's why David said, since, too, since knowledge is too wonderful for me, I can't attain to it. I can't even understand it. I can't comprehend how much God has done. From Abraham to Christ, you have 42 generations. Men, come back up, stand back up. 42 generations. Try to get back reasonably where you were. Hey, your pastor. Come over here. Come over here, Brother Haney. Come over here. Why don't you come over here? I want, you, I want you to be Jesus for me a little bit here. Okay? This is not tight casting or anything. I just want you to play Jesus for me here. For two generations, all the way down to time. Okay. And every time, you picked up a little more as you come along because it's on a descent, you know, coming down like this, flowing all the way down through this, coming all the way down through this, man, coming all the way down through time, coming down through the, the decades of time until it got to the 42nd generation. But the Jew said, we don't want him. And they said, we'll have him. We'll not have this man to reign over us, for we have Abraham for our father. So the Jews took 41 generations because they rejected him, pushed him aside. He came into his own, I believe the Bible said, and his own received him not. So the Bible said they wouldn't receive him. They didn't want anything to do with him. In fact, they hated him so much, they would take him out and crucify him because their position was, we have Abraham for our father. And when he said before Abraham was, I am, that made him God. And therefore, they would not accept that, that he is being God, a man who is making himself God. And they rejected Jesus Christ. So the Jew took these generations right here. They took 41 generations. But the problem comes that this man, this man, this man right here declared his generation, and this man 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 declared his generation. But we have a problem. Because he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep is done before his shears. And they took him to a place called Calvary, and they crucified him. And Isaiah cried out and said, who shall declare his generation? He don't have any sons. He don't have any foals. He don't have any offspring. He don't have any children. But little did they know when they drove the nails in his hand and they pierced his side, something happened in his side. Out came blood and water. He opened up his side. And what happened when out came blood and water? Out came blood and water. Hallelujah. Out came blood and water. He took a bride out of the side of Jesus Christ. He took a bride out of the side of Jesus Christ. And this bride is alive. And she said, I declare his generation. I'm going to announce it to the world that he had children. He had offspring. He had sons and daughters. Because the bride is the declaration. He lives on in his bride. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And she is the beneficiary of all that came down from Abraham. For he is, not a, he is not a Jew that is a Jew outwardly. He is a Jew that is a Jew inwardly. He's been taken out of the side. And God made a bride for himself. As she declares his generation. You understand something? 
I'm the benefactor of all he did. Say, Osborne, you don't look like much. I don't have to look like much. My father looked like much. God, understand, sometimes I struggle. Sometimes I fall. Sometimes I stagger. But I am the product of a bloodline. And everything that's been done has been handed down to me. That gives me worth. You see, I don't have to go into a lion's den. My blood's already been there, and lions couldn't eat it. I don't have to go into a fiery furnace. My blood's already been there, and the fire couldn't burn it. My blood's already been through the water, and the water couldn't drown it. And that's the value that I have that I'm here to declare is generation. And my worth is not in me. It's the accumulative effect that has been handed down to me. But the Jew is not the beneficiary of the death, bell, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because they took the 41 generations, but not what would not take the 42nd generation, which was Jesus Christ. Therefore, his death, burial, and resurrection means nothing to them. And when you baptize me in water, in the lovely name of Jesus, you are baptizing me into Christ. Now then, everything that he's done is a benefit to me. I'm the benefactor of it. I don't have to go to a cross. My father's already been there. I'm the benefactor of his resurrection. I don't have the keys to death, hell, and the grave, but he does. And they're handed down to me by the power of my bloodline that I've been born into the family of God. Lift your hands and love the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 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 I've already wrestled with an angel in Jacob. Already wrestled with an angel in Jacob. I've already been made a prince that has prevailed with God. Makes me more than a conqueror. I've already been there. I've already killed my giants in David. I've already crossed over Jordan. I've already slain a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of an ass. My blood's already been applied to the doorpost. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. You see, I inherited all that. I know I don't look like much. I know now and then I stumble and struggle. I know now and then I'm like that foal when he hits the ground. I mean, I said, I'll give $400,000 for him because I'm buying blood. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care if he's pretty handsome. I don't care if he's got a homer. I don't care if he's homeless. I don't care. He's not impressed with your beautiful suit or is he impressed with your beggarly clothes? He's a bloodstock agent. Just looking for blood. I'm looking for blood. Because it's all in the blood. It's all in the blood. I'm the beneficiary of 5,000 years of man's time. Because he is not a Jew as a Jew outwardly. He is a Jew who is a Jew inwardly. It's not the circumcision of the flesh. It's the circumcision of my heart. And I went down that watery grave. And he applied that blood to my life. 
that they're of the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So I'm persuaded that when you're baptized, you get the blood. If your pastor teaches something else, he's right and I'm wrong. But that's my persuasion at least. It's the blood that gives me power from day to day. And when I stand before the, when the devil comes to the Lord, he says, you know, Osborne, he stumbled today. And I did, you know. He says, you know, you know, he ain't walking like he ought to walk. He ain't doing like he ought to do. You know, he passed by that boy today and never said nothing to him. He didn't witness today. He had that home Bible study, but he canceled early. And he's accusing me of the Lord. And it's all true. And the Lord looks at me and says, how do you plead? I say, I plead the blood. I plead the blood. I just plead the blood. I can't plead innocence. I just plead the blood. I said, it's the blood that keeps me safe. It's the blood that protects me from the accusations of Satan. Because he tells the truth sometimes. But I plead the blood. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me from all sins. So let the Jew have his 41 generations. Because if you missed the 42nd one, you'd have been better off to have never been born. Because none of this 41 generations can save you. They can't save you. They're all law. Law never saved anybody because there was nobody to keep it to begin with. Couldn't save anybody. But salvation came by Jesus Christ. So I got to have the 42nd generation in my life be baptized into him and become a part of the bride of Christ. And when I'm because of the bride of Christ, I stand to my feet and I make the announcement, he is still alive in my blood. He's still alive in my blood. He's still alive in my blood. His death, burial, and resurrection is still alive in my blood. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelleth in you one of these days, he's coming back again as far as the clouds. And if that same spirit, that same blood is in you, it's going to quicken your model body and you're going to rise to meet him in the air. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's all about the blood. Come on, some music. It's all about the blood. Jesus Christ is a blood stock agent. He ain't caring about anything else. Your talent, he enjoys it, but that's not what's going to save you. You being cute ain't going to save you. You have a beautiful formation, not going to save you. That's because you haven't won anything yet. You haven't done anything yet. You've just lived a few years down here. We haven't accomplished anything really for God. All the assets we have in our life has been passed down to us through his blood. Because I've been adopted into this family. I didn't mean to be here. But God grafted me in contrary to my nature. Let me be part of the family of God. He said, I know you don't have a, you don't have a genealogy worth remembering. And nothing in the Bible increases your self-esteem. By virtue of the fact that you were just a dog. But I'll give you some crumbs from the table. And since the Jew satisfied himself with the 41 generations, I'm going to make you my bride. And you will lift your voice in the streets of Denver. And you will declare his generation. I am his generation. I am his generation. And I was chosen in him before the generations of the world. Before Abraham ever was, I was chosen in Christ in heavenly places 
before the foundations of the world. And he put me together in his mind, in his thinking. So I'm going to make her about this tall. I'm going to make her real pretty. And we'll give her a husband and make him just a little bit taller. We'll make him real handsome so they'll fall in love. Some people spend the rest of their life trying to change themselves. He said, if you only knew how long I've been thinking about you. And the, before time began, he had you on his mind. How many are help? How many are my thoughts of you? Millions of thoughts I've had about you. And I know, I remember what I made you out of. I remember you're the dust. You got a dust brain to think with. Dust tongues to talk with. Dust legs to walk with. Dust eyes to see with. Dust ears to hear with. He said, I remember that I made you weak so that you could be in me and be strong. I wanted me to be strong in you. So I chose you and I put you together and I watched you being put together before you ever existed. Before there ever was a you, I knew you. Before there ever was a you. That's why David said, this is incomprehensible. I can't understand it. It's way beyond me. This is out of my league. David said, I'm going to write it down, but don't ask me to explain it to you. It's too wonderful. It's just beyond, it's beyond my imagination. That God could have been thinking about me. When there was nothing in, there was nothing but God who filled the universe. Do you know Sonny had you on his mind? Your parents have been thinking about you till you got here. But God said, I was thinking about you when as yet there wasn't a you. I can't even explain it. Chose you in Christ before the world began and you're not happy you can't worship you can't praise him you're too busy trying to be somebody else it doesn't matter who you are see in the Old Testament it was not whosoever it was look at my head it was not whosoever it was to the Jew only it was not whosoever when Jesus sent the twelve out it was not whosoever it was don't go to the Samaritans, the Mongol race, and don't go to the Gentiles. It was not whosoever. The temple was not open to whosoever. The tabernacle was not a functioning place for whosoever. But in the 42nd generation, he said, I want the people I've been thinking about before the foundations of the world. I'm going to open my arms and say, whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever will, let him come. Don't bring no money with you. you have to bring no, don't bring pretty with you. Don't bring cute with you. I'm looking for blood. I'm looking for blood. I'm looking for blood. I need some folks tonight who are going to declare the generation of Jesus Christ. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Sheep is dumb before his shears. He never opened his mouth. 
was cut off out of the land of the living. He said, but who will ever tell the story? Who's going to tell the story? But there was a generation that will do that called number 42, and that's us tonight. We're going to declare his generation. I will tell you something tonight. If you need this Jesus in your life, and if you don't have him, you need him. I don't care. Your mama may have forgotten you, and your daddy may have pushed you out, and the friends have, may have abandoned you, and the people on the street may neglect you, and you may be looked down upon by society, but you have been on the mind of God. Well, if there was ever a check off of the clock of time, God was thinking about you, and he loves you, and he cares about your life, and he's made you, and he made you something he could be proud of. Don't worry about what the world has done, what your genealogy down here may have done, what your family, your grandparents, your history may have done to you. You have to get over that and say, listen, I'm a child of the king. God made me. I'm not a mistake. I'm not an error. I'm not something accident. God was intentional when he made you, and he loves you, and he wants you to be a part of his family. So step out of your seat. Come on down here to this altar. Repent of your sins. Turn your life around. Give your heart to God. Go down in that watery grave in Jesus' name. For as many as have been baptized into Christ has put on Christ. Need to put him on tonight. I need some other folks that are going to declare his generation. I'm simply going to declare his generation. I am somebody with value. I have worth. I have worth tonight. I have value. The world may have discarded me. They have me counted out, but I plead the blood. My husband may have left me. My wife may have walked away, but I plead the blood. I am worth something. I do have value. Come on, folks, come on. Don't let this moment pass you by. Lord, I'm thankful for the blood. for the blood. I have value. I have worth. When I think of Calvary. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love you, I love you, I love you. I don't know where I would be. It had to be for mercy. Yeah. 